Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you guys get to hear from Melinda Moore. And I wanted to have Melinda on the podcast to give us an education on all things investing from the investor side and from the person who wants to receive investment side. I think it's one of those conversations that we hear all the time on social media, that this is a game changer for women. If we can get in this game, if we can get money in this game, that we can really move the needle. But there seems to be, whether it's a lack of understanding the language, the lingo, or just that's finances, that's not something for me. There seems to be um, a wall that we still need to sort of hurdle. And I think it's important for us to own what we can in this conversation. And that's why I wanted to have Melinda on. Melinda, thank you so much for being with us. Well, I'm very excited to be here in the studio to celebrate our success and the opportunities that we create for ourselves. Just a brief background, I have been a serial entrepreneur, and through that journey, which has been exciting, I've actually co-founded four companies and had 22x returns on some of my companies, which is uh, you know, you, I think sometimes as women, we don't celebrate our wins. So I'm going to start by celebrating yeah. our wins. I love and it. then what I realized is when you're on the path of fundraising as a female founder, it can be more challenging. We were at about 2.4% in 2020 in terms of the amount of um, venture investment that flowed into female founded companies. 
And last year in 2022, it dropped to 1.8. So I'm not sure how you can erode or decline when you're in the 2%. So this is a very important topic. And after being an entrepreneur, I thought it makes a lot more sense to be able to write checks to other founders and to be able to help with their journey in terms of scaling their company and truly providing the support that they need to be successful. So that's why I turned specifically from being Mm. an entrepreneur over to being an investor and an investor that has operating experience can truly be empathetic with founders and then leverage my network, obviously, that I've built up over time. And you have built up a network. In fact, there was, I think the very first time, Melinda, that I knew who you were, like we hadn't met yet, but you were running a networking group here in Los Angeles. I mean, your network goes wide and that's something that you've been building over many, many years. So being able to tap into that along with the financial investment you're making in these companies is really huge, right? It's not just money. It's leveraging relationships. Yes. So the organization was called Tuesday Nights. I ran it with a partner, Justine Lassoff. So we did that for 10 years, which the whole point was let's get women in a room and help elevate each and everybody in the room together. And it was across all verticals and We always gave back to charity with every event, but it was senior leader executives, founders, co-founders, venture capitalists. um, And so that was a a, a great thing. And I would say men don't underestimate the power of a network, whether it's like the PayPal mafia where, you know, Elon Musk and everybody is like making all these investments to support each other, golfing, poker, all of these things is like women need to come together and have investment groups and have, uh, you know, organizations like Tuesday Nights create and cultivate. There's Marble is actually launching today. I'm a founder of that. That's a new female networking organization. And so I just think it's not to underestimate how powerful a network is and that you can leverage the network for knowledge, for introductions, for raising capital, for building teams. I mean, that's why we're here. So you're in the right place. I'll say that. (laughs) I want to go back. Every time you say a word that I don't understand or I think our audience doesn't understand, I'm going to stop you because what I want from this podcast is for people to tap into Melinda's brain. When you mentioned getting together across all verticals or talking about things across all verticals, tell me what you mean by that. A vertical in business is basically classifies a category. So there's, for instance, beauty, which would fall under consumer. And then there's SaaS, which oftentimes a lot of venture capital goes to SaaS. There's FinTech, which is um, obviously financial tech. There's FemTech, which is investing in women's health. There's biotech. So that's what I mean by vertical. It's basically a category of uh, of business. Right. And that's typically when investors are like, oh, I invest in consumer. Oh, I only invest in SaaS. I invest in femtech or green tech. So that's kind of the metadata around investing. And also that, that brings up an important point. You know, whatever type of company or idea you're bringing to life, you need to do the homework to make sure that the people that you're contacting that could be potential angel investors or investors 
have already raised their hand to invest in beauty tech, for instance, because that's how it works. You know, typically people don't invest outside of a vertical. That's right. And I just want to say for our, our listening audience, verticals within a company, very similar concept, but it's you're sort of hitting different categories within a company to accomplish something, whatever that thing is. I want you guys to know that term with different context. So thanks for that, Melinda. Go back a little bit to what you just said. I think that was a little nugget of wisdom. Investors tend to stay in their vertical. If you want to tap into somebody, look for somebody who's invested in in a similar space or in the same space. Um, Now that's sort of counterintuitive, right? We might think, oh, investors want to diversify. Maybe they already have someone like me in their portfolio, but you're saying otherwise. So give us some explanation behind that. I mean, I think there's two ways to look at it. So I'm going to use Forerunner as an example. So Forerunner is one of the leading firms that invest in consumer. So they'll Mm -hmm. invest in beauty, dog food, you know, anything that is like a consumer packaged good. And I think when you understand the reason why Forerunner has done so well is obviously they have an exceptional team of investors, but they're able to truly leverage very specific knowledge around consumer. So around creating consumer products, marketing consumer products, distributing consumer products, how to maximize revenue around consumer products, how to open up distribution, you know, all of those things. So because they're just focused on consumer, that way they're able to capture and level up all of the intelligence in that sector. Now, there are other funds, for instance, there's Mac Capital, which is based in Los Angeles, and I'll laugh, but they've invested in tampons all the way to rockets. So that's something that's more of like a general type of fund. So there do exist some general funds which will invest across verticals. Um, I do think more of the venture capitalists are moving towards specific verticals because they can have a deeper level of expertise within a category yeah. and then help their portfolio. And in, honestly, it's just easier, to be honest, yeah. to help. If everybody looks super different, how do you help them? If they all have sort of similar things, it's just easier. Yeah. And I would say as a founder, I would want somebody who has deep knowledge in that particular area that I'm looking at that investor, not just for the what they can give me in money, but also what they can give me in, to your earlier point, in relationships and in uh, sort of their brain power. I want to tap into all those things. Okay. So we're talking about venture capital right now, but I want to go back a little bit, a few steps. So I'm going to give you a scenario and I want you to tell me what kind of investor is kind of good for this. And I'm picking out people that I think live in our audience. So let's say there's a woman who really just has an idea. She's created a five-page business plan. You know, she has a, a pretty good sense of what uh, she's what she's creating, doesn't have a necessarily deep knowledge in that. And let's say it's a you mentioned dog food earlier. Let's say she's making, it's a dog food bakery or it's a bakery for pets. She's looking at a single brick and mortar and some online sales. 
has nothing yet, has, hasn't done one dollar uh, in sales, no transactions yet, but she's got the concept, the branch, the website's up and running. She's got one part-time assistant that's going to help her with everything that she needs. She needs $100,000. Where does she go? I think the easiest way to raise $100,000 in what I would call like a pre-revenue, pre-seed type of business is mm-hmm. friends and family. So okay. the easiest way to raise $100,000 is basically to try to get, you know, 5000 25000 50000 from friends and family. That's going to be the easiest way just because they know you, they trust you, they believe in you, they're willing to take a risk. Um, and it'll probably be from the founder's perspective who wants to bring the dog bakery to life, the fastest way to do so. Now, right. of course, not everybody has a network where they could just circle up $100,000. That's that's sure. honestly pretty rare, but it's definitely what I would call like the fastest and easiest. But the second is crowdfunding. So there's mm-hmm. rewards-based crowdfunding, which is Kickstarter, which has actually raised billions and billions of dollars to bring people's dreams to, to life. And so you can launch a crowdfunding campaign where you could basically pre-sell some bakery type products so that you can raise $100,000 for your business. So that's another opportunity. With bank loans, it's very hard to get a bank loan until you have like history of the business. So you can't like walk into Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Bank of California and just say, hey, I've got this five-page business plan because they have to be able to underwrite something that has historical data of revenue and be able to determine the level of risk. Banks are not a great idea. Venture capital, I probably wouldn't approach either because it's a bit too early. You need to hit them when it's later. And so friends and family or doing a crowdfunding campaign is honestly probably the best way to to raise $100,000. Okay, now go back to that friends and family. Some of us don't know how to give somebody equity or something in the company for playing investor at the $100,000. We're still talking about the $100,000 friends and family round. So um, this isn't a loan. I mean, it could be. You could ask those friends and family to loan you $100,000 and you would be paying back that principal plus interest. But that's not what we're talking about as an investor. As an investor, you're asking them to invest in the company. And then what are you giving back to them? And when are you giving it back to them at that $100,000 level? Yeah, that that is a great question. So what I would say is I'm not a lawyer, but really you do need to work with a lawyer um, or Carta or LegalZoom that has these documents. So my preference would definitely be to hire a lawyer, have a small budget for that so that they can draft the necessary investment documents because there's different types. I think it doesn't make sense to go into this specific type of documents because it's just too technical. But what I would say is please hire a lawyer so that you work with the lawyer to draft the right documents so that you are protected. Typically, when people invest and give you money, they get what's called equity which is like a stake in the company. So their reward for taking a risk is actually getting equity, which is ownership and shares in a company. Again, if you don't have enough money to hire a lawyer, 
please take a look at LegalZoom. I also think Carta is now doing some stuff um, in the legal area just to make it more affordable. And they do have a lot of the templates and documents there. I always say that um, one of the things in being an entrepreneur is just being highly resourceful. And if yeah. you don't know, there are so many networks out there, LinkedIn, your friends, don't be afraid to ask any questions that you don't know. I think that it's really important to be curious, to be resourceful, and to ask good questions. And no question is a dumb question when you're doing something for the first time. Sure, sure. And I think it evidences that you understand what you understand and you understand what you don't understand and you're being resourceful in getting it. And so if I were a potential investor in somebody, I would want to see that. I don't want somebody who thinks they've they've got it all figured out. That makes me nervous. Um, to go back to that really quickly, in advance of even the, the legal piece, and I thank you for saying that because that's so important, there's not one way to skin this cat. You can have a really good idea as the founder that okay, if, you know, Uncle John is giving me $25,000, then what I want to give back to Uncle John is a little bit of his principal and then some, right? Yes. And maybe I'm going to give him in three years, I'm going to say, look, Uncle John, give me that $25,000 now. And in three years, I'm going to give you, um, based on the amount of shares that $25,000 equals, and that's something that you would work out with your attorney. You know, what is that number? And then we understand the value of each share that Uncle John is giving you. And then you say to Uncle John, okay, I'm going to keep $250,000 in the bank to run the company. But anything we do in sales in excess of that, I'm going to share with you an equal portion to your shares right? That's one way of Uncle John saying, okay, I get it. So for three years, I'm not going to make anything. I'm not going to see anything, but then I'm going to start to over time earn back not only my principal, but I'm going to earn back all this extra money that the company is going to be making because this is going to be a success. Successful venture. Right. So just again, for our listeners to have a starting point and how they might want to be thinking about this. Okay. So now same company, five years later, she's doing great. She's going gangbusters. She's ready to start five new locations. She needs $5 million dollars. Um, in capital to open these locations, to expand to a warehouse because her online sales are going crazy. Where does she go now? Okay. So if you have obviously a successful business and you have revenue for a couple years, um, oftentimes the kind of trigger typically for venture investment is around a million dollars in revenue. That's when Tip, you know, again, I'm speaking typically, there's always exceptions, yeah. but I would say as a general, as a loose general rule, if you have a million to two million in revenue, then that's when you can really have conversations with venture capitalists about being able to grow and scale the company. And I would say too, like, it's very smart for businesses that have physical um, stores like that to have what I call is an omni-channel presence, which mm -hmm. means they have physical stores, but they could be on Amazon. They do direct to sale. And omni-channel just means that you have multiple different channels. Right. It's smart for your business because you're leveraging all these different, you know, channels and you're learning different information from your customers, but then also that is more attractive to investors because it's not just like, oh, I have one location or I have five locations. It's like, right. hey, I have these five key locations so people can really experience the brand kind of like what Tom's Shoes did 
back in the yeah. day, they had a few key flagship stores, but then they were doing a substantial amount of revenue in direct to sale, right? You really have to look at and work with investors that are going to be strategic partners. So like you said, it's not just them giving you money, but it's them giving you great strategic advice and support because you're not alone on this journey. So you want to make sure that everybody that you bring on to your team, everybody that you bring on as investor is going to enhance and really wants to see you win and is going to provide insights to help you expand your business. You can also go to a bank, you know, you could also probably do a, a crowdfunding campaign. So when you're at the point where you're raising $5 million, you could look at a bank loan, you could look at venture, you might even be able to look at venture debt. There's not just a single pathway to $5 million. And is there ever a scenario in which you could tap into multiple uh, venture fund and bank and crowdfund? Does that ever exist or do you really want to focus on one? So I wrote the book and anybody that's listening and wants it, I will give the, a free copy. It's called How to Raise Money, The Ultimate Guide to Crowdfunding. That's awesome, Melinda. Thank you. And it's on Amazon. So anybody that's listening that wants a copy gets a free copy. And in that, I do talk about hybrid strategies of fundraising. Again, it really depends on the specific type of company, mm-hmm. you know, their vertical, what they're willing to give up as an investor, because when you raise money, it costs you something, right? Yeah. So there's all these different scenarios. So there isn't a single path. Um, but what I would say, there's also hybrid ways. So I will say this, this is a perfect opportunity. So I'm an investor and an advisor in a company called Bold Q. And essentially it's a beauty tech company where we're building robots that dispense in real time the exact um, foundation to match your skin color because we all have different skin colors and different times we have different skin colors. And so this morning, I'm so excited. We're actually going viral on TikTok. And we did pre-seed um, a, a raise that was primarily angels like myself and some venture capital. And now we're doing another seed round. And it would be from all angels and VCs or looking at a hybrid model where we would actually take some angel and VC money and then launch a Kickstarter campaign So that would be a hybrid. And so we're really looking at what is going to be optimal in this scenario, but we're very open to a hybrid scenario in which we would use some angel or venture capital money to have a really successful Kickstarter campaign so that people could get on the wait list and they'd have early access and they would get the first bold hue devices. So as we're spending money on marketing for Kickstarter, because you have to have a marketing campaign, we're also getting investors. So each dollar that we spend for marketing, we're also getting investment. So that's kind of double bottom line money working for you. And so there are hybrid scenarios of, of investing. And I do talk about that in my book. And I do actually practice that in the real world. Well, what I love about what you just experienced is you leveraged what went viral, you sounds like you're potentially going to do this, but you're uh, leveraging what went viral and saying, okay, well, if we went viral on TikTok, what is the opportunity for us to go viral within this Kickstarter campaign or what, whatever the platform might be? Exactly. And to make people feel like 
their early adopters of something makes them loyal for life. So it's really an idea for an opportunity that it presented itself. So your sort of ability to be nimble and say, well, why don't we create sort of a hybrid model here? Because while we know we can go to angels and VCs, we have this opportunity to go to the public and build in a marketing campaign, pre-sales, loyalty to the product. So it's it's a great way for people to think about what is the opportunity in front of me? How can I leverage it based on the product that I'm bringing to market and take advantage of all those different opportunities that are, are in front of us? Go back really quickly when you said omni-channel uh, and you did a great job in explaining that. But I want to say for people to have an investor who comes on and says to the woman who's opening the dog bakery to say, this is great that you're ordering the brick and mortar. Omni-channel is important. I think because COVID is not that far away, we all have a memory of it. Had she not received that advice, this fictitious person that we're creating here, she could have gone under. If, if she was solely building this on brick and mortar, she may not have been able to sustain. I know if you were in California, especially Los Angeles County, you may have been closed for a year and a half. And had she not had online sales, had she not been with another retailer, perhaps she wouldn't have been able to survive. So getting that sort of insight and understanding and leveraging the relationships that these investors have on the angel you know, on the friends and family, angel and VC level, you can have relationships with friends and family too. Don't underestimate those. Yeah. Yeah. Don't underestimate. I love the company, Our Place. Mm -hmm. They're doing remarkably well and they have a couple stores and in those stores, they've created this really long table and it's all, it's just, it's dishes, but it really talks about like the transformation and what happens when you're just sitting down for a meal mm. and how we can really connect and help each other. So like if you could think of fundraising as having these dinners and then the table just gets longer and longer and you are able to ask, hey, if you can't do a, a $5,000 check, do you know anybody? Who should I speak to? Right. How can right. you expand the circle? Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Well, let me put a pin in that because I really want to talk about that. And you gave a beautiful image with that long table. Um, I want to go back really quickly to something you said about when you're bringing all this money in, you're giving something up. Yes. And I've heard people say, you know, from my consulting days, I don't want to raise X amount or I don't want to give X amount in equity up. And I usually said something like, well, you can have 100% of $100 or you can have, you know, 10% of a million dollars. What what is it that you want? And of course, that number is not a fixed number, that's just an example. So, how do you view that? My guess is similarly, but I would love to hear kind of what you would say to somebody who would say, "Oh, I want to hang on to all my equity. I don't want to give any or very much away." Right. Okay. So there's very different scenarios. So I'm going to do an education. So there's something called a cap table. And mm -hmm. that cap table is a list of investors, how much money they've put in, what sort of percentage of ownership they have. And I'd say, be very careful with your cap table in terms of making sure that you're doing business 
with investors that you want on your cap table, Mm -hmm. right? That add strategic value that are available to you when you need a call and that not to put them on the cap table and you and until you've had a little bit of history so that, you know, when you call or you text that they actually get back to you and that the advice right. resonates with you. So number one, be very careful with who you put on your cap table. Number two is don't put too many people on the cap table because then it makes it harder to get more investors because you get diluted. Yeah. And then the other thing with um, investors is unless you are independently wealthy and can launch and do everything on your own or something just goes viral or it doesn't cost a lot of engineering, like with Bold Hue, we needed to raise money because we're we're building a robot. The co-founder is a NASA engineer, okay, female NASA engineer. So you need money when you're doing hardware. So it really depends on how much money you need. But unless you're doing a rewards-based campaign or you're independently wealthy, in those cases, you don't have to give up any equity and you retain 100% ownership and you and your team is the only people on the cap table. That's not as common, right? Most of the time you have to raise money and most of the time you're going to have to, it's a give and take in everything, right? Yeah. And you do need to read some books about it, educate yourself, join some investing groups so that you don't feel intimidated by the conversation that I'm having right now. Because again, there is no one way of looking at it. On the extreme, and I do want to say this, on the extreme, I have too late in the game worked with female founders that were maybe six, eight years in, and they've been working so hard, but they raised so much money and made some mistakes along the way. And by the time at the end, they own like 5% of their company. And by the time there's an exit, it's like, wow, I worked for 10 years for my investors, not for me. So just to understand that that's an extreme scenario, but honestly, I have seen that multiple times, primarily because the people raising, it was their first venture. So they didn't know a lot of the things that we're talking about right now. And so they just thought it was great. Get the money, get the money. And everybody's like, okay, I want to be a girl boss or whatever and be on the cover of Forbes and Fortune and, you know, get a big following. So they're like, oh, I got all this money. I got venture capital. And so it's like bragging rights and everything. But it's like, okay, but what did that cost you? Yeah. You essentially switched jobs. You went from one job and you took another job because to your point, you were working for the VCs. Yes. And I'll just keep with this dog scenario. If that woman could raise uh, uh, just what she needs, a little bit more than what she needs, because mistakes happen. Yes. Like, you know, Always you learn raise things. a little bit more and have some cushion. Yeah. But if she didn't out of the gate start with, you know, millions of dollars in uh, raised money, wherever she got that from, she could hang on to a ton of equity. And also what she's giving up, like the cost of investing in her would be higher because she would have some success under her belt. She wouldn't be starting at zero. So three years in, if she wants to raise that money, it's going to really cost those investors to participate and be a part of that business because she's shown herself to be successful and she's shown this to be, nothing's a sure bet, but a more sure bet, right? Um, So if you can do that, it sounds like you're saying, be careful. Be careful with how much you bring in right away. 
don't give yourself away. Exactly. Know your value. Know your value. Yeah. But also, like, it's interesting. I call it kind of quiet confidence. Know yeah. you're selling an opportunity because it is, it's a sales job, right? When you're raising yes. money and doing fundraising. But yes. also, don't be obnoxious and don't come from ego because it people people feel that and nobody likes that. And um, at the end of the day, you could end up with nothing if you are overly aggressive, come from ego or rude. I, mean, I have heard certain things that people have said to VCs. And then the other thing is it's a small community. So people talk. So sure. if you have a really bad experience in an investment meeting, that can be shared. So just have good etiquette. Be careful. You know, I get it. It's frustrating raising money. It's hard. It's like 100% of your time has to be raising and then 100% have to be running the company. So now you have two full-time jobs yeah. uh, among all the other things, kids, clean clothes, yeah, just house, life. dog, life, walk, you know, yeah. life right? So yeah. uh, it's not for the faint of heart. It's definitely like a roller coaster ride. But I was talking to a big VC uh, this week and it, it, the person was... The VC was declining, but saying, like, hey, kind of come back to me when you've got more progress. And the the founder was was just like very offended and rude and said something that they shouldn't have said of like, I'm not coming back. And then that person then, you know, the VC went around and said, oh, look out for this this founder. Yeah. You don't want that. So be a good human is exactly. the, I be, think the lesson be a, here. Be cool. Be cool. <laughs> and I I think that's just, I mean, a good lesson in just remember that you, you need to be human and you're dealing with humans. I think there's this crazy intimidation factor when it comes to raising money. And if you know as a woman, you're very likely to be in a room full of men that could increase for whatever reason. That's a whole other episode we can unpack. Yes. But it's just keep in mind um, who you're talking to. And also to your earlier point, when you said, be careful who you put on that cap table. Remember, that's not just money. You are now in bed with these people. They're going to demand certain things of you in the company and as you are of them. And so you want that to be an equal relationship. You want to feel like this is a partnership and we're all focused on the end game. We're all trying to get there. So, exactly. and going back to the long table that you so uh, beautifully described for us, that's something else I want to talk about. When I think about the people who've been really successful at selling at whatever level, $100,000 level, $40 million VC level, it's when they're inviting people into an opportunity, not just asking for money. And so you really need to be able to articulate that opportunity, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about what we need to do. Let's say we want to raise, you know, I'll, now I'll just change the number for fun, $500,000. So at the table might be friends and family, might be people that you don't know. They might not be quite VCs, but a small angel of some sort. So somebody you don't know, but somebody who wants to make an investment. You have a backyard dinner party. You invite all these people to your backyard dinner party. You kind of wine and dine them. And then you launch into this is what I'm creating and I'm inviting you to come on board with me. What is it that you as an investor, let's say, Melinda, you're at the backyard dinner table. What do you want to hear? What are three things you really want to hear from this person to know, you know what? 
I think I'm going to be an investor here. I think I like what I'm hearing. Or conversely, I'm out of here. This makes me run for the hills. That something they said or did, or or maybe it's even the the product or the service in general. Well, I mean, honestly, Netta, that's kind of how we met, right? We met yeah. in a beautiful backyard in a home yes, with these amazing women sharing food and wine. So that's the, actually how I'm here, right? So that's proof yes. point of how powerful that can be in terms of making connections. Absolutely. And what I'd say, like the top three things that I want to hear is. I want to hear about a founder or co-founder's story, their journey, their background. I want to hear as part of that is why are they motivated to do mm. the dog bakery, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is like personality traits. I want to make sure that they have grit. I want to make sure that they have quiet confidence. I want to make sure that they know how to build the right culture, that they're going to be able to attract the right team, that they're going to be able to get uh, more investors. So that's the second thing. And um, the third thing is like, what is the secret sauce? There needs to be some secret sauce because why is it going to be this dog bakery than any other dog bakery? Why is it going to be this electric bike, you know, in the bold hue, the reason why I personally invested and I'm an advisor is because the co-founders are phenomenal. I know a hundred percent that they are going to go the distance and do whatever it takes. And they have patented, unique technology in beauty tech. So there's a bunch of barriers like bold hue is the only company on the planet where you can touch your skin, get an exact reading, it shoots it out like a Keurig machine with coffee, and out comes the specific foundation for your skin. And the founders, you know, NASA engineer building robots. Like, right. we, we are going to win, you know? So that's yeah. just like a specific scenario. So I, I love their story, their journey, their secret sauce, their um, business acumen. Those are all the reasons why I invested. And that secret sauce can come from the business idea or the person themselves. Like there's something they're bringing an expertise or a technology or something they're bringing to the table, but it could also just be, this is a, a brilliant idea. Now, Ideas can be duplicated. You're going to have copycat companies. So it probably needs to be some combination, right? For sure. And then there's people who aren't reinventing the wheel. They're just creating a good product. And maybe it's the way they're branding the product or the consumer that they're talking to. I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I've been talking to women on this podcast as a consultant for years. When I started to see white space in the 40 plus market that wasn't about menopause, that wasn't about fine lines and wrinkles, but was about what are you going to do now? What are you going to do with this time and space now? Are you going to pivot in a career? Are you going to start an entrepreneurial venture? What is it that you're going to do? It was the white space that I was moving toward. I was still talking to women. I was still trying to help women be intentional with what they were going to do in their careers. So it was it was really an opportunity that I was seizing. What are the things that are important for you when you're looking for that secret sauce? Is it the person? Is it the technology? Is it the idea? Is it the the white space, the gap in the market? 
I'm actively investing through two vehicles right now. So one is Coyote Ventures, which mm-hmm. is the trillion dollar underserved business of femtech. So digital health that impacts women. And yeah. so right now we have made some investments in consumers. So Wiley, Get Mod, and now we're looking at BioHeroTech, which is the first company that can detect endometriosis without performing surgery. Mm. And endometriosis is a big issue. We just did another one in gestational diabetes. And so now we're looking at technology that is positively impacting um, health that impacts women, right? And then Aventura Ventures is we're doing tech-enabled infrastructure. So around green building, smart building, the electrification of cities, fintech, and emerging communities. So again, because it's venture, the lens on both of those is technology. So we are looking for defensible, patented technology. That's what we're doing now. Right. And so that is what you and the venture funds that you're associated with are looking for. There are other venture funds that are looking for other things. So for our listener, what I want you to hear from Melinda is that to her earlier point of verticals, she understands very clearly what her verticals are, what she's interested in, where she's educating herself and where she can educate and partner with those brands. But there are other Melindas in the world who might be doing the very work that you need as a small business. So that's what I want you to hear in this. Now, you had talked about with Coyote Ventures in particular, you had talked about the work that they're doing around femtech and the investments they're making there. There's a quote that I read on your LinkedIn that I just have to address because this intersects with the work that you're doing. But you posted something on your LinkedIn and I'm just going to read it. It said, this is a man speaking, let's go to Mars and create the metaverse. A woman speaking, let's make the world a better place by solving the hunger, housing, environmental, and infrastructure crisis. I mean, first of all, thank you for that. That was hilarious and so true, I I hate to say. And it's kind of going viral. I think it's going to hit like 20,000 impressions in a day. For good reason. Yeah, thank you. But there's a lot coming out of that. But I want to hear what you have to say about it. Well, I just am wondering, like, clearly you're you're talking about sort of that billionaire set. I mean, it was sort of an eye roll when I saw within a span of two weeks, these three men who were all trying to like launch their rockets. It was ridiculous, I thought. I was like, the amount of money, the amount of media coverage, the amount of attention that's being put on this when I don't know a time in my lifetime where our world has seemed in more crisis. This is not a male bashing session at all. I'm married to an awesome human. I'm raising two boys that I believe and hope will be awesome men. So that's not my point. But my point is, in, in bringing it up with you, are you seeing, are you finding that the women that are coming to you seeking advice, seeking capital, are they more interested in solving real world problems? Are we by sort of definition or by DNA, are we just more interested in those types of solutions? Are we as founders leaning towards those types of things? Are you actually seeing evidence of this quote that you put out? I am seeing actual evidence of the quote that I put out. 
I want to say that the quote is to stimulate a conversation. Yes, which it, it is. The quote is to, it's a call to action to billionaires. If Meta can lose $2 billion a month for over two years, then the billionaires can put $2 billion a month into health tech, into green tech, you know, into things that are going to save and enhance people's lives. And also what I call it double bottom line, right? They're providing returns, but they're also very purposeful. So that what I wrote was basically a call to action to say, hey, hello, billionaires, flow some money to us, right? I've been candid that it's been challenging to raise money for funds and for businesses. And many of the women that I work with also experience those challenges. And some of the comments are people that are raising. And it's great because the men have reached out to me and want to help. And other men are like, why are you men bashing? And I'm like, but I'm not. And so it's actually stimulating a conversation to say, like, we all have to come to that table together. It's to say, hey, let's divert these funds to things that are really matter and to founders that have that special sauce and can make a positive impact. And let's just balance this out a little bit more. And let's have the conversation. And by the way, and you can make the money, you investor who's losing billions. There's so much to be made by leaning into these female founders and these uh, opportunities. It's not a charity. It's not impact investing. That's right. We're here to provide returns and to make money and create generational wealth so that we can put more money into the future generation of entrepreneurs. And entrepreneurship is better when you're looking at diverse set of entrepreneurs. Uh, Yeah, as is everything. When more people are being brought to the table, then there's there's more fullness. It's just, I mean... I don't know how many times we have to say that, apparently a lot. Yeah, and the research shows that. So the research shows when you have diverse teams, you're more capital efficient, you can pivot faster, better. Um, The diverse set of skills, the diverse perspective is actually strength. So the research says it's like, okay. Yeah, (laughs) you just um, capitalized on the research. I love it. It's compelling and it's, uh, I think it brings a lot of attention to an area that needs some attention. So- For those who are looking for investment, you've done a great job of sort of describing these different categories and helping us to understand from the novice to somebody who's more proficient, like who we can tap and how we can tap that and what makes that a compelling ask for an investor. For those who are interested in becoming investors, for those who are like, how do I do what Melinda's doing at any level, right? That means... I've got a couple thousand dollars sitting around. I'd love to give it to a a woman-owned brand or somebody who's sitting on something uh, considerably more who would like to kind of move the needle uh, for women in a more substantial way. How do they get involved? Perhaps they have the money, but that doesn't mean they have the know-how. Right, because you need the money, but then you need to be able to source the deals and the right deals. Now, um, There are a bunch of angel groups, Um, Mm -hmm. so those angel groups can meet in the real world or be virtual. You can Google different angel groups and see if those angel groups are investing in 
you know, specifically the areas that you care about. There's investment groups on LinkedIn. Um, there's women investment groups. I mean, there's there's so many different type of investment groups. I do think LinkedIn is a great platform just to start because there are so many investors, you know, on LinkedIn. Right. But I think I would start with angel groups. That's a good one. And there are tons that actually at some point, maybe we'll create sort of a list that we can yes, uh, to share float out to everybody groups. to share. We don't have any affiliation with any of them, but it would be good no. for you guys to just get tapped into those. Because you can hear the discussion, like everybody, so somebody pitches, but then this could be live like at a school and then somebody pitches and then the investors that are all in the background, the angels are able to ask questions and then they can talk and decide as a group, do we want to invest? Do we not want to invest? Right. So it also, again, brings more people to the table so you can discuss the opportunity with others that ha- that want to invest. Yeah. I also would think it'd just be a great way to learn is get involved in the group. They usually have a minimum for you to be involved. Find a minimum mm-hmm. that it is comfortable for you. It's like when you go to the poker yes, table, make yes. sure that you're playing with the right poker chips. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't lose no, money. No. You know what I mean? I will say this too, with angel investing, like it really is kind of a numbers yeah. game. So you really need to invest in like 50 to hundred to think that you're going to have a unicorn in there, which is a billion dollar. So it's not like, Oh, just do a couple. And then I, you know, so you want to be yeah. careful and not invest money that you don't have. And I think you can, once you find that group that fits your kind of budget and your interest, going back to your verticals conversation, some of those groups might focus on a certain vertical or a few verticals, but then you can just sit around, be in the room, listen, pay attention to those people who have been doing this longer than you. And in a matter of time, you too will start to become an expert. You started out not knowing what you know now, right? And it's taken years of information and knowledge and um, having some success with companies and having some failures with companies and having some that were like, nah, that's not quite what we thought they would be for you to come to the place that you are now. It's very clear to me and to our listeners how you and the work that you've done as an investor, as an advisor, have liberated so many other men and women. But How has this work liberated you, Melinda, the woman? Like what has being an investor done for you that is somewhat unique to any other work that you could do? And you've kind of found a little bit more of who you are as a person through that work. Thank you. Um, That's such a great question. I love being able to empower others And I get a lot of joy from that. Mm -hmm. I enjoy working with people. So I work with men and women. Mm -hmm. Um, I do work a little bit more disproportionately with women simply because they honestly need more of the help. And so there's nothing better than helping women get funded and be able to bring their ideas to life and to be able to work with them. to experience the highs, to experience the lows, to be there for them. I just say it's it's very rewarding. And ultimately, right, when you have success, then you can cycle this. What I want to do is be able to successfully raise more money so that I can make more investments. And then those investments have returns. And then we bring that back into the ecosystem so that the ecosystem is healthier and better for people that look like myself or look mm like people that typically don't get money. And that's, 
a vision that I have for myself. That's a great vision and one that will impact so many as a result, right? I hope so. (laughs) It will. I mean, I believe whenever any of us kind of show up as who we fully are, that we impact people in the process. I would put my money on it. (laughs) Melinda, thank you so much for spending this time with us. You have given us such an education. Um, I appreciate it so much. You very generously and kindly offered your book to us. Thank you so much for that. How can we get in touch with you? How do we ask for it? I think the easiest is just going to promote LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn. I'll send you the book via LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. I really um, enjoy sharing this knowledge. And Liberty listeners, I, I know you will reference this particular episode time and time again, and I appreciate you guys spending this time with Melinda and with me, and we will be back with you next week. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham and music by Jordan Flower. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.